My name is Dr. Joanna Pagonis, and welcome to Tackle Tuesday. Tackle Tuesday is a podcast series that tackles different issues in the workplace. We explore topics such as leading with emotion, diversity and inclusion, and how to create resilient and agile work cultures. Today's episode is sponsored by Synogap Solutions. We work closely with emerging leaders to help you develop a clear vision of your authentic self and to discover your passion and how it aligns with your purpose. Once you have a clear understanding of your purpose and vision for your future, you'll be able to discover your path for continuous growth along with the energy and enthusiasm necessary to sustain you during the most challenging moments in your life. We encourage you to visit our website at SinogapSolutions.com and explore the courses we offer that will help you develop the mindset and capabilities to be an inspirational leader. For this week's episode, I had the opportunity to interview Christina Eanes, a former FBI violent crime analyst and senior manager. Christina is on a mission to help others achieve more in their life, mainly by getting out of their own way. Christina is an author, speaker, podcaster, and a YouTube channel host. Her company offers an array of professional development programs, and through her products and services, Christina inspires others to take responsibility for their success at work and at home. Along with her team, she provides invaluable strategies that lead to better professional and personal relationships, improved communication skills, and ultimately increased productivity in accomplishing personal and organizational goals. I was really excited to speak with Christina because of her background and experience in resiliency and her interesting take on how to be more resilient. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, Christina. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Um, All right. So the first question I want to get into is just to break the ice a little bit, but it's also specific to your your knowledge, your expertise, and kind of the focus of what you do in your new book. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your history, your career trajectory. I mentioned in the bio, uh, you are uh, you are an FBI crime, violent crime analyst and a senior manager. So it's fascinating. So I want to talk about that a bit. Um, but I also want to know the circumstances that led you to being an entrepreneur and an escape room addict and how the two are linked. So yeah, if you could share a little bit about that. Oh my gosh, how much time do we have yeah. now? <laughs> 30, 45 minutes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So actually, um, when I was a kid, I was very, uh, I, and I have trouble pronouncing it, entrepreneurial. <laughs> yeah, you name it, I would figure out a way to make money off of it. If it was uh, selling lemonade on the ninth hole of the golf course, um, whatever, right? So I was into that as a kid and then I actually wanted to be in biology. But I decided to have kids young. I got married young. I decided to have kids young so that I don't plan this much, so that I, I didn't have to take maternity leave. Um, and so I don't plan this much now, I should say. But so I didn't have to take maternity leave after college. I actually had them while I was in college so I could start my career right after. And so that I could spend a lot of time with them when I was in college. Yeah, I know. I my mom says I was born 30. But anyway, so <laughs> I was into biology. Um, And then I got into upper division biology classes and I realized one first, I didn't care what was inside of a cell and how 
like the RNA transcripts to DNA or what a Golgi apparatus is. So that was the first thing I realized. The second thing I realized is that in order to uh, support my kids, because my husband at the time was in the military, in order to support my kids, I needed, uh, if I was to stay in biology at that time, in my head, I needed to go forward and get like all the way up to a PhD. And I just didn't have time to do that, to support them at the level that I wanted to. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? Well, I really love law enforcement. I'm fascinated by it, but I don't want to be a cop because without fail, most cops have had to either wrestle a naked person <laughs> or, or get spit on. It was just like every cop I talked to, that, had to, that was part of their history. Um, and punched so, in the face. Yes, <laughs> and punched yeah, all of that stuff, right? So I thought, well, okay, you know what? I love this. The school that I was going to was very well known for law enforcement, so or criminal justice. And there she is. Oh, your cat. Yeah. <laughs> the cat. So the school that I was at was well known for criminal justice. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to switch all my classes over. I've got two years. I'll figure out what I'm going to do. And then within that time frame, I got introduced to crime and intelligence analysis. A fairly new field at that time, about 20, 25 years. Okay. So it was a fairly new field. And um, I went and, and explored it and I realized, oh my gosh, it's like, it's puzzles. It's like figuring out puzzles. So I started out as a crime analyst at a local PD in California. And that's where I was more of a generalist. So I would do crime statistics. Um, I would gather information for the officers to help them with um, like their search warrants or their investigations, that kind of thing. So kind of like really data mining, essentially little bit of math involved in that. Um, and I loved it so much that I decided I wanted to impact on a bigger level. So I'd hit 30, I'd gone as high as I could in the police department from a civilian standpoint, uh, a non-gun toter. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so I thought, well, I'll just go join the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> so I joined their uh, violent criminal apprehension program, VICAP, yeah. as an analyst. Um, and then that's where I helped local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies in my assigned geographical areas, which is generally about five states, okay. with their homicides and their sexual assaults, missing persons, and uh, unidentified human remains cases. Okay. And, and these were ones um, that were serial in nature, committed generally by strangers, etc. Same, loved it. It was like puzzles, another theme here, right? Yeah. <laughs> It was like puzzles. So what I would do is data mine. I'd, I'd get, I'd search off of cases that we get in our database and then I would get agencies talking to each other that had similarities between cases and hopefully they would close out serial cases. Now, also at this time I was teaching uh, criminal justice online. So it's like a, a, a theme of training and teaching and connecting with others and puzzles throughout this whole time. Then I knew I couldn't do that for my entire career because I, I was constantly looking for bodies on the side of the road. <laughs> it does bring perspective to life, doesn't it? Eh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I thought, well, yeah, I want a promotion. So let me start looking around. And I found that they were forming a new leadership development program within the FBI. So then I worked my way into that because at this point I'd gotten a second master's in education. And um, I had a background in training slash education, right, my whole adult life. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go help with the leadership development program. And I had 
two teams of folks, a team of instructors, team of logistics. And we ran through uh, anywhere from line level up to uh, executive level leadership leaders through leadership training uh, over an 18-month period, 6,000 people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 150 people a week. So yeah. I really enjoyed that. But then there was a point where my kids started leaving the nest and I had noticed things tend to move a little slower at the government level than I would have liked. <laughs> I'm laughing because, you know, I have my backgrounds in, in government yeah. too, so I can relate. You relate. <laughs> so, for example, um, I had to create a facilitation course teaching instructors how to facilitate because that was new. Actually asking people questions and getting their experience in the classroom instead of just only sharing yours as the instructor. So I had to create a course for that. It took six months from course creation to launch in order to do that. And it was a two and a half day course. It was because of the red tape? Yes. And I remember thinking, you know what? If I had my own business, I could create this and deliver it in the next week. Yeah. So I thought, okay, kids are out of the house. Don't need that security as much anymore. Um, I've always been an entrepreneur since childhood. Okay. Got a background in training. Check. Let's go do this. So I jumped out and opened up my own professional development firm, wrote a few books, do a few speeches and do a lot of training. Yeah. Oh, wonderful experience. I can relate to a lot of what you just shared. (laughs) Talk to me a little bit about how you got into escape rooms. So uh, my daughter's 21st birthday. I thought she'd want to go to Vegas, Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Nope. She wanted to go to Harry Potter World in Orlando. (laughs) So... So we did to celebrate her 21st birthday. We went on vacation to Harry Potter world. Um, and we had a down day that we didn't have anything planned. And she's like, Hey, there's this new thing called escape rooms. Well, they were new to us. Do you want to go do one? I'm like, uh, locked in a room and solving puzzles for an hour. That sounds kind of stupid, <laughs> but you know, I'm going to, I'm willing to try it. So we did it. And then uh, four years and almost 500 escape rooms later, wow. <laughs> we got addicted, just to say the least. Yeah. Oh, my God. And, and, and yeah. did you feel like that there was a, a link between what you were doing as a violent crime analyst? And because and, 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 you were mentioning, like, there's a theme, right? There was, like, yeah. so, like puzzles. solving puzzles. <laughs> yeah. Is that one of the reasons why you got addicted to it? Uh, several reasons. One, yes, definitely. Um, and, and depending on the escape room, they can be like fully immersive. Like you feel like you're in that environment. Okay. Um, like ones that we recently did, it was Goonies related and you felt like you were in the actual Goonies cavern. I mean, there was fire in a cave and Sandy beach. And it was like, yeah. where was this? Is this in Virginia? Um, yeah. Uh, no, uh, this one is one of the best locations in the U S uh, 13th gate okay um in baton rouge louisiana oh wow yeah now they have some really good ones too we've been to montreal oh yeah really good ones in montreal i'm originally yeah. from montreal i'm born and raised there before I, I, I before i moved over to uh, alberta so really in montreal so yeah. when i go back to visit my family when i'm there you go to i'll check them out i'll give you some suggestions oh i yeah. love that yes <laughs> but okay. it's the immersive environment so you feel like you're in it okay. um the puzzle, you just go into flow, right? Mihai Chiksink, Mihai, I said that right. <laughs> flow, the, the flow. And then, uh, yeah, just the solving of the puzzles, the 
being able to figure things out, figuring out how things tick. And then with my personal development perspective, looking at it and saying, hey, wait a minute, this teaches, I mean, yes, they've been used traditionally in corporate team building, yeah. but this teaches an individual a lot about themselves. One, how they react in certain situations, how they can build their resilience better, right? Help with their emotional triggers. So only not only being aware of how you're behaving, but also before you go into the next one, setting up an intention on what you're going to work on and then being aware of that. Mm-hmm. So you have kind of like a safe space to improve yourself. What was one of the biggest discoveries you made about yourself uh, from the early, those early experiences? And maybe even now, right? Because I still assume you, you discover new things about yourself. Oh, constantly, right? The big one, though, is emotional intelligence. And it perfectly aligns with resilience, right? So being aware of when you get triggered emotionally and uh, being able to work through it, right? To get yourself in more of a positive frame of mind, we'll call it. Uh, an example of one as we were, I don't want to give away where it was um, because it's a really cool experience and I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but we were uh, escaping from a boat and it started filling up with water and a loud alarm went off. You're, so you're actually getting wet. It's not make-believe virtual yes, water. it's actually on the floor. And at the moment that I say, oh, it's not going to go above the grate, <laughs> it goes above the grate on the floor. And it actually got to be about two feet deep wow. in the room that we were in. Yeah, it's amazing how they did that. But not only that, so the water was rising, but I have very sensitive hearing and ear piercing alarm, like um, like one of those residential or commercial alarms yeah. was going off. And I could just feel, I was so aware of my emotions getting triggered, panicking a little bit. So went into my training and, and started implementing immediately things that work for me to get me to calm down. And I was able to breathe through it and work through it. So that would be an example. Another one was um, getting locked in a, um, a, a coffin. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's worst nightmare. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And then I get in and I have a moment and I had to work through it. So definitely is helping. That's been like my biggest lesson is how to work through those um, emotional triggers, especially ones related to panic. Yes. Now you don't do these yeah. alone. I assume you do them with other people. Uh, generally just my husband. Okay. Cause I saw pictures on your website. I'm like, I think that yeah. that must be her husband. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, in life, we don't, we don't experience life uh, individual. Like we do, we have our individual experiences, but we tend to right. live life with other people and we can learn yes. through others. What were some of the things that you learned doing this with your husband or someone else? <laughs> One that we're going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we haven't killed each other yet. We're going to make it. No, <laughs> but it's actually been awesome for our relationship because we've, we've really gotten used to, um, well, helping each other work through those triggers, essentially. Uh, have you heard of the rational defensive continuum? No. Okay. So think of it as a triangle. Okay. Um, and at the base of the triangle is when we're calm, cool, and collected. We're in that rational part of our brain. Uh, and as you go up the triangle, meaning you've been triggered in some form or fashion emotionally, uh, as the triangle comes to a point, so does your ability to uh, respond to things in your environment, right? So at the bottom, we have wide awareness, wide choice in how we respond to things. As we go up to the top of the triangle, we get uh, more tunnel vision 
right? And we tend to react more than think, respond. We, amygdala hijacked would be the, the top of the triangle, right? <laughs> so what we've actually taught each other in escape rooms and in life is we'll flash the symbol of a triangle with our fingers uh, to each other. And that means either one, I've been triggered. You need to give me some space so I can get back in my rational part of my brain so I can respond appropriately. Yes. <laughs> or two, you've been triggered you need to chill out. I'm going to give you a moment <laughs> so that you can compose yourself and get back in that rational part of your brain. And what's it called? The rational? Rational defensive continuum. Defensive continuum. I'm writing it down so I don't forget it. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Okay. You know, because it actually makes me think of who wrote the, the, the love languages. I forgot his name. Barry Chapman. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, he, I think he was the one that said he could watch a couple for five, 10 minutes and he can predict the success of their marriage. And I think probably yeah. one of the reasons why a lot of relationships break down, it doesn't necessarily have to be a love relationship, any relationship right. is the lack of, it's maybe why relationships survive and do well and grow is because of the ability to work through the rational defense, defensive continuum, yeah. right? It's yeah. the ability to notice your emotional triggers and how you, uh, how they manifest themselves emotionally, mm -hmm. physiologically, and behaviorally, but also being able to recognize those patterns yep. in others and yes. not being triggered by someone else. Yes. <laughs> Which is part of resilience, right? Not, um, being, well, like, just like you said, not being triggered by that other person. Right. Okay. So yeah. let's, okay, let's get into like, let's use the, uh, the escape room as an analogy for being in the darkness, mm -hmm. because through some of the research that I did looking at your website and listening to some of your YouTube videos, th there is this theme of darkness that, that emerges. Yes. And I want to talk a little bit about resiliency and darkness. And you already shared a little bit about what you learned about being in the darkness, because obviously being in a coffin as well, sounds like a very dark <laughs> experience for sure. But how does someone get comfortable? Yeah, you know what? First, before we go into how does someone get comfortable with the darkness, let's explore the darkness a little bit more. What does it look like? What does it feel? What, you know, like if we're talking about darkness to, to put it into perspective for people, so it's not this abstract concept, like let's can yeah. you demystify or talk to us a little bit about the darkness. <laughs> yeah. And actually, um, <laughs> I have a, a story about uh, an escape room that we did in complete darkness. Yes, that's and right. you want to talk about resilience, right? But so to relate it to normal life, uh, the darkness would be whatever we're going through and it's different for different people, right? So like coming from a law enforcement world and um, like at the beginning of my life, it was single mom kind of thing. It's, it's what would be darkness to me is a lot different than maybe what would be darkness to someone else, right? We each have our own little darkness, um, depending on how resilient you, we are. So it could be, for example, I did have a, a moment of darkness when we first had lockdowns. I was like, you can't tell me I can't leave my house and go do escape rooms or something, right? So break on autonomy. That was a little bit of darkness to someone. It could be I mean, losing a a family member to being upset you didn't get that promotion. There's this whole range of what darkness is for people, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And how does somebody, how should we approach the darkness? Ah, uh, good question. <laughs> so maybe I can use that escape from a uh, story. Yes. As an analogy. Yes. Analogy, metaphor. 
I like simile. You know what? I always ask, what is the difference sometimes? Metaphor analogy, I love it. Go go for it. There we go. <laughs> so I won't go into the full story because I actually do during um, one of my speeches. Um, but we were in, so we like to do the novel escape room experience, right? Like a coffin or a boat, right? Because we've done so many. So we get really excited about those novel experiences. While we were going to, uh, we take escapecations and we were going to Europe and um, this one area that we went to for an escapecation, we found that they had a room that was in complete darkness. So resilience wise, right? I had expectations going in just like we do for life. So my expectations were, oh, we're going to go into a room. It's going to be completely dark. And we're going to kind of feel around and figure out puzzles in a room, right? That was my expectations. As we like maybe have an expectation for, I'm going to go into work. The meeting is going to go this way, <laughs> right? Or I'm not going to go into work. <laughs> I expect to go into work, but all of a sudden there's a pandemic. But anyway, so we got to the room and at first it did meet my expectations. We were feeling around any room. But there's one point where we worked a puzzle and we heard this really loud noise uh, over to our left. So we went and we, we felt around and the wall had actually opened up. So this is where, okay, we're outside of my expectations. What do we do? <laughs> but, <laughs> but being resilient and learning resilience, trust, and just move forward. So I did. And we got in this really smelly room. Um, they were using all of our senses except for sight, right? <laughs> Yes. And long story short, though, we ended up climbing up some tunnels, <laughs> getting caught where it was really hot. I mean, it was it was really hot, like below us at one point because we we're climbing through a volcano. Um, there was another point where my path got impeded. Again, we're in these small tunnels. It's completely dark. It's hot. Uh, we're jet lagged. <laughs> my six foot four husband is behind me. And then my the tunnel stops all of a sudden. So I have to figure out how to move it around. Um, I don't want to give away too much, but it was a full, it felt like hours, but it was only about a 59, 60 minute experience. But going through that process, the uncomfortableness, the tiredness, the heat, the uncertainty, the all of a sudden I'm trapped in a small space, <laughs> right? We had to keep telling, it completely blew away the expectations that we were expecting. And we had to constantly tell ourselves, you know what? This is just like life. You just got to keep going. Trust that there is an experience that I need to experience in front of me. And eventually we'll find the light. And we did. We actually found literally the light <laughs> in this escape room experience. Wow. Okay. Because I'm thinking of somebody who's experiencing darkness right now in their life. Uh, they probably have no idea where the light is and when it yeah. may come. Yeah. So... What can, like, what, what advice do you have somebody who is feeling a lot of darkness and really has no idea how to navigate through it? Maybe doesn't have the competencies that you have to, yeah. and they're feeling like really trapped. Uh, and, you know, like feelings of, let's just put it out there, right? Helplessness and hopelessness, which yes. can lead to depression and clinical depression. And then, and then you're do, taking drugs and not that medication isn't a good thing. It works for some people, but what can you do yeah. if you're, yeah, you're really trapped in that darkness and you're feeling helpless and hopeless because you have no clue where the light is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so for those that are to a point where they need professional help, first reach out, right? Yeah. That's a given. Um, but if you're not to that point yet, you create your own lightness. 
And, and there's two different ways that I recommend you do that. First, compassion for yourself, right? So the first thing you have to do is stop beating yourself up over um, or ruminating on negative things. Um, the second thing is, well, and first of all, I'll back on the compassion. Um, oftentimes we have trouble being compassionate to ourselves. So what I do is I actually think of myself as my 10-year-old self. And you, you tend to have a lot more compassion for your 10-year-old self than you would yourself now. The other thing, too, is I think about would I talk this way to my daughter or my mom or a beloved friend? No. Right. So stop it. <laughs> right? So the first thing would be compassion for yourself. Quit beating yourself up over feeling down. If you're normal, it's fine. Um, and then the second thing would be to have more of a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the growth and fixed mindset? Yep. So Carol Dweck's work under mindset, uh, what I like to do is, okay, this is a learning opportunity. Uh, What what am I learning from the situation? Because we don't learn very well from our successes and when things are going awesome, right? We tend to learn more when we're going through adversity or, or hardships. So, if, I mean, looking back on your life, think about the biggest things that we've had to face and how it changed you as a person right? So what am I learning from this? And then the other thing I bring in is the practice of gratitude. Mm. What am I thankful for? Now, one thing too is out of adversity comes, uh, I I don't even know if this is a quote, but human ingenuity, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I remember when we first had lockdowns earlier in uh, 2020, I got so frustrated because one, I was worried about my beloved escape room industry, Mm. (laughs) right? And and then two, I was like, I I need to, I need to be able to get out of the house. I want to be able to talk to people. I want to, I want to do my escape rooms. But uh, what the escape room industry started doing was looking at um, through Zoom or some other platform, the, the game master in the room is your avatar. So you log on through Zoom and you can still do escape rooms. Yes. So I started looking at, okay, so what are some other ways that I can get creative about how I live my life in that way? And it ended up 2020 has been the most amazing year yet for me, uh, business-wise, experiences-wise, because I turned that mindset around thinking about, okay, what benefits is this bringing? Yes, there's horrible stuff going on, right? But what benefits has it brought? What gifts has it brought? And how can I uh, innovate and change myself, my life, my business mm-hmm. to, um, to have a better experience essentially throughout this process? Yep. I had a mentor who yeah. said, uh, never waste a crisis. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about perspective. Yes. Like the Stoics say, you know, we can't, yeah. we can't control other people, can't control mm-hmm. the weather, uh, the economy to a point. We, sometimes we can't even control <laughs> our own bodies in terms of illness, uh-huh. but we right. we can control our perspective, uh, yes. our minds, and the way we see yeah. things. Uh, and, and I'm talking about like on an everyday level. Like we just moved to a beautiful apartment, and um, I was updating my address. And I don't know about you uh, in Canada. Do they have a Department of Motor Vehicles type thing? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's horrendous here. You have to go wait in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles for hours. Well, I just updated my address in two minutes on the website, which I couldn't have done before COVID. <laughs> right. right. So yes. Oh. The everyday thing, you know, be grateful. Can you tell me the role the others play when it comes to developing resilience, which I'm hearing from you is embracing the darkness, working through it, being self-aware. Mm-hmm. What role do others play in that? 
Oh, yeah. So uh, several, right? So first giving them the space to work through things, uh, helping them with resources if they need it. Um, and just being, sometimes I try to jump into problem solving mode. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just be there and listen. Um, yeah. Well, and then just, uh, like my husband and I, we, the little triangle, essentially giving each other space when we need it, letting them know, Hey, you know, you're kind of going off into the darkness a little bit. Maybe it's time to take a break for yourself and work through that and be there for them. Right. Don't, don't try to jump in and take over. <laughs> right. And I think that's come, like, I think coaching, you're, you're a coach as well. Is that something that you learned through coaching? The, the ability to help somebody through by not saving them or rescuing them, but yeah. helping them develop more self-awareness of what it is that they're experiencing, but not yes. owning it for them. Yeah. Don't be the fixer. <laughs> don't be the fixer. Yeah. The problem solver. Yep. Yeah. So that's more about you than it is about them. Okay. Thank you. Cause I was going to say like, what, what can we tell somebody who wants to jump? Cause it's hard to see somebody that you love going through a tough time. Yeah. What, how do you prevent yourself from wanting to go in and rescue them? Or, and I guess that comes to own self-compassion and resiliency once again, but yeah. yeah what can somebody do to like, cause somebody may feel helpless again to say, I can't just watch somebody go through this. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what is the benefit in, in having them experiencing it with me not jumping in to save them? What, yeah. what can you talk a little bit as to kind of like what can happen on the other side if you just let the person experience it? Yeah. Oh, you mean, uh, stepping back and yeah. Like somebody may be saying, yeah. yeah, like somebody may be watching somebody now going through it and to them to step back, it's too hard. It's too yeah. hard because they don't understand what the benefit is yeah. and stepping back. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, so first off, um, obviously if someone is, we have to do the, what is, what is the, um, oh, when you're the d- disclaimer, that's what it is. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> right. So if someone is really like, you think they're going to harm themselves or others, blah, blah, blah. Right. You need to step in and speak out. However, for normal everyday stuff, yeah. right. Everyday darkness giving them the space. And this is the hardest thing as a parent that I've had to do is kind of step back and let someone fail or let them. And I hate to say the word let, like you're allowing them, like you can do that. Right. But, um, allowing them to go through that and have their own space to do it. They learn so much more in how to self soothe and, and take care of themselves in the future. So it's just like with coaching, it's like with leadership, um, you know, when someone comes and uh, wants to, uh, so for a leader, when someone came and brought me a problem, I wouldn't immediately give them a solution. I would start asking them questions. So you're, you're essentially teaching them how to think through for themselves, how to problem solve, all that good stuff. So that goes, they're learning how to do it themselves. And that goes back to how, that's kind of what you need to do to help somebody develop a growth mindset. Because having yeah. a growth mindset is a skill you can learn, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So by allowing them to work through it, they're developing that growth mindset for themselves. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Christina, talk to it. You have a book now called life is an escape room. You have a whole website devoted to it as well. And you talk a little bit about an escape fleet. So talk, tell me a little bit more about your book and what an escape fleet is. (laughs) So an escape fleet is an escape room athlete, right? So thinking of, um, escape rooms as, events that you are engaged in a competition, but not it's a competition in improving yourself essentially. Right. So 
an escape room athlete, escape fleet. So you have to train for it. You have to get your mental space right for it. Uh, and then you go in and then after, after you go do that experience, you come out, you debrief, you look at what you did right, what you could improve upon. And then you set a game plan for the next thing. So that, that's what an escape fleet is. So I just thought of something because oh, what I'm hearing you say is it's, you willfully expose yourself to stressors. Yes. You're using the escape room as a mechanism to do that because yes. it's relatively safe. Yes. No one's actually died, I hope. Not that I know of. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> so you, in a, in a relatively safe way, but it still elicits that panic reaction, that fear mm -hmm. reaction, that fear of failure. So you use the escape room as a, a mechanism to expose yourself to that. Yes. And by doing that, you develop the skills of an athlete. Yes. Which is yeah. having a strong mindset. Yes. Yeah. The, well, mental toughness, right? Resilience. Grit. The more we, yes, grit. The more we expand our, I mean, the more we step out of our comfort zone, the more we expand it. Right. Yeah. And then, and let's talk a bit about failure too. Um, the importance of, because you said, you did say before when, like for an, as a parent, you have to, if your kid fails, that's okay. What is our aversion to failure? Is there a way to, you know, what is failure? How would yeah. you define failure? I don't, well, failure is probably, I mean, I don't even like to think of failure. I like to think of it as a learning opportunity, which is part of having a growth mindset, right? If you have a growth mindset to a degree, it's all a range between fixed and growth, right? But the more of a growth mindset you have, the more you see failure as learning, right? You're just learning how it doesn't work. <laughs> so right. I, I would even hate to define failure because it's more, it's just learning how it's not working. I mean, we don't, uh, what is it? When a baby starts walking, every time they fall down, we don't admonish them for falling down, right? They're learning. It's a process. Same with adults, but we somehow tend to lose that as we get older. Yeah. And that's, it goes back to what you're saying around self-compassion, yes. you know, not seeing failure as, oh my God, it's the end of the world, but it's just, okay, well, you know, I, I'm learning something new through failure. There's learning. And, and I don't know why sometimes people think of the word failure as like, it's all or nothing. It's you no. know, even like a, a little misstep is, could be defined as a failure, but it's not the end of the world. It's just an yeah. opportunity to learn. I was watching the, I like to watch the Today Show every morning because I'm in Canada. So it's good to just keep up to date with what's going on in the States. Uh -huh. And they had General Gustav Perna, 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 I hope uh -huh. I pronounced that right. He's in charge of vaccine distribution across the United States. And unfortunately, some states got fewer doses than they had been promised. And he took full accountability. Oh, so, yeah. so you want to talk about failure, right? And he said, I failed. I'm adjusting. We will move forward from there. I mean, you know, yeah. he took complete ownership. So how does, are those, taking accountability, does that help you with your resiliency? Oh, yes. I'm glad you brought that up too. You, for all of this, the framework is being fully accountable for your life, right? It may not be, you may not be able to control external factors that are going on, but you can control how you respond to them. So being completely accountable for how you respond to life. Mm -hmm. No blaming others, no making excuses. <laughs> it goes back to that stoic mindset. Yes. I can only control myself. Exactly. And, and it goes back to the principles of really what an athlete is. I sometimes yep. I, people think an athlete is this unattainable, you know, perfect human being by nope. no means at all. No. <laughs> 
Okay, so tell us, go ahead. I was going to say, tell us a bit more about your book as well. Oh, yeah. So Life is an Escape Room is essentially, um, we included 60 different lessons that we had, mainly uh, related to perception, emotional intelligence, and um, communication, communicating with others. Those are the main things, but there's various other ones too. So each chapter is a short story uh, of us going through an escape room and learning that particular lesson. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. And, and I have all of your links. So I'm going to be, I know that they can actually get that through your website, lifeisanescaperoom.com. They can access the book yeah. there, but I'll be sure to put that in the show notes so people can access it. Oh, thank you. Um, before I get to any last words you'd like to share, I'd like to do the keep it, start it and drop it. If you, if you, if you're up to it. Of course. So when it comes to resiliency, embracing the darkness, you know, what is one thing that we as human beings should, should keep, start, and drop? Ooh, okay. So let's start with, so keep. Yeah. Keep moving forward. <laughs> Just keep going. Like when I was in that dark room, there was a point where it seemed like the tunnel stopped and there was no place to go. But I thought, okay, we, we can't go back. Because there's, I mean, there's no way we could trace ourselves back. We have to keep going forward. So keep going forward in life. You'll find mm-hmm. a way. We did. The tunnel opened up. <laughs> yes, right? yes. And if something gets in your way, go around it, but keep going. <laughs> Wonderful. So, yeah. So keep going. Uh, start. Uh, how about start monitoring your emotions more and giving yourself permission not necessarily to wallow, but to feel that emotion and move through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then drop, drop the negative self-talk and the worrying, because that's just thinking about what could or might happen, not really focusing on what is happening. And I have to practice self-reflection daily, especially when it comes to the anxiety of what may happen. Yes. And I had this other guest on my podcast, his name's Jeff Harry, he talks about flow. You mentioned flow earlier in our conversation. He talks about embracing play. Um, And he says, when you're in the flow is when time stands still. You're not even, you're just really enjoying yourself. You feel like you're fulfilling your purpose. You're having fun. That's the flow. But sometimes when we get anxious about uncertainty unknown, it disrupts Mm -hmm. our flow. Yeah. So that's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, expectations can't, like he says, expectations are the killer of joy. So <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> we didn't talk about mindfulness, but I'm hearing a little bit of that, right? That self-awareness, being yes. mindful of those emotions. And, and does, does mindfulness help us not to stress too much of the future because we're more focused on the present as well? Yes, the more that we can train ourselves. And, and when I talk about mindfulness, uh, a lot of people think, meditation that's how you have to get mindfulness but there's so many like i get mindfulness on the tennis court right anytime you can be in the present moment and stay focused on the present moment uh the more that you train yourself the more you'll you'll hang out there <laughs> yeah and the less things are going to affect you and the and the 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 less time you'll spend in that worry mode absolutely yeah. okay is there anything that you're working on that you want people to know about oh sure yeah christinaeans.com that has uh, our professional development catalog and all my speeches on it. Another beautiful thing about this is the world is now open for speeches and workshops. People don't have to worry about travel costs right now. <laughs> yes. So we, we've been helping clients um, all over the world. So if, if people are interested, check that out and give me a call. And you're on LinkedIn? Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as well. 
And you have a great channel on YouTube. So so many free professional development resources there that people can listen to and get a dose of inspiration from just, yeah, a dose of inspiration from Christina Eames. Okay, well, thank you so much, Christina, for being on Tackle Tuesday. Oh, thank you. Uh, Well, everyone, that is our show for today. I'm Dr. Joanna Fogonis. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to tackling the next issue with you.